Yes, people, how are we all doing? I hope everyone's doing great. Welcome back to Process, a podcast with myself, Brendan Pearson. So today we are joined by yet another guest. Today's guest is Craig Musham. So Craig is the SNC coach at Newcastle United Academy, working with the under-18s, under-23s, and has been there for a number of years. He was my SNC coach when I was at Newcastle for a number of years as well, so we know each other well. It's been great to catch up with Craig. We first talk a little bit about what his role is at the club, how he kind of got into that role, how he had to work numerous hours and internship at Newcastle until he actually got his full-time job, and how hard it is at the minute in the SNC industry to actually get a job and sustain a job long-term as well with the experience that you need. We talk a bit about his philosophy in terms of training, especially in the football world, which he's working with young athletes at the minute, a little bit about how he works how he manages fatigue with athletes, how he works with athletes in season and what he's doing at the minute. I also ask a little bit of a question about speed. It's a big question that I get asked quite a lot about how to get faster, how to stay faster and as well as that, also how to stay away from injury and try and prevent anything from happening down the line. We talk about loads of things as well about his role as an SNC coach and uh, not just specifically in the gym but also being there as an extra figure for athletes and also being able to have that banter and build relationships with his colleagues at the club as well as the athletes. So there's a lot more to it than just being an SNC coach. But it was a really, really good discussion with Craig. Plenty of good takeaways from the podcast, not just for SNC coaches, but for any young athlete or anybody interested in football and sport in general. Definitely worth a listen to this one. One last thing before we do start this episode, if you haven't already subscribed to Process, get subscribed now, just take five seconds out, get your phone out, press subscribe if you're driving, do it later, but get subscribed for weekly episodes and we've got plenty of good guests lined up. As well, if you really enjoyed any of the episodes of Process, remember to share it on your Instagram stories, tag myself and the guests, it would mean a lot just to get the word out, but I'll shut up now, get on with the episode, this is process yes people welcome back to process today we're joined by yet another guest we've got mr craig musham one of my old snc coaches from newcastle united working with the united newcastle united under 18 academy at the minute welcome to the podcast mate cheers brendan thanks for having us looking forward to it no it's nice that we'll have a nice little catch up before yeah. the, the podcast started because it's been probably like two and a half nearly three years since i last probably seen you and talk so it's nice to kind of have a, a familiar face on the podcast <laughs> no, it's, it's good. So yeah, again, like we've been chatting about, like players come in and then all of a sudden one day they're not there, and you kind of like you lose touch and you don't get to see them, and, and yeah. you've known them. I've like, known you like six or seven years, and and all of a sudden you're not mm-hmm. not there. It's it's crazy when you think about it. It's yeah. not not massively dissimilar to school when you leave and you miss everyone. But yeah, uh, yeah, no, just no, but... There, so, yeah I'm uh, my official role title is the lead academy strength and conditioning coach. So I'll work mainly with the under 23s and under 18s at Newcastle Academy. Um, I'll assist or oversee the 9 16s program. I'll work with James Newton on that. Um, currently furloughed, it's probably since a lot of people are. So I've had a lot of spare time on my hands and pretty much just been a, a full time father, um, which is definitely harder than my actual job. Absolutely loving every minute of it. I was going to say, yeah, you've got another one on the way as well, so yeah. you're probably a very, very busy man. <laughs> yeah. So give me a few, years, give me a few years until that. But yeah, you really touched up on a bonnet. Like football is a crazy industry where we we, we mentioned it right at the start that there's lads that probably come through the system you're working with for years and years and years, and then one day they're released, and then that's kind of yeah. it that you, you hear from them. Like I, I kind of compare it to like in a business where if you, you kind of get sacked or the boss like, pays you off or whatever, he's not going to come and check up on you kind of every so often. He's kind of like, you might bump into each other down the line, but he's not going to be kind of, oh, mate, how you doing? Which is why football's such a tough industry. And it's probably hard for yourself kind of building relationships over lads that you've, like, obviously you've been at the club for a long time. I probably, probably was about 12 or 13 maybe when you came in. And then obviously I left at 21, building that relationship. And then someone going, it's probably, it's quite probably tough for you mentally. And then, Obviously, we've caught up now, and we're kind of just clicking it off straight away and chatting away. Like, we had a good little little conversation beforehand, but we'll bring up some topics that we just discussed beforehand. Yeah. But to start off, just want to find a little bit about yourself in terms of how you got into the role you're at. Maybe starting back out at school, did you play sport 
uh, this at a certain level and then kind of how did it progress from college university until the point you're at today yeah absolutely so as probably like most kids in the northeast of england i uh wanted to be a footballer so played football when i was younger um played a lot of other sports but football was the main serious one um i had a couple of trials at different clubs didn't quite get on one of them reasons uh somebody brought was, was i wasn't fast enough and to me i think this is when i was 16. Being fast meant like being like Usain Bolt, like a 100 metre sprinter. But in football, you don't need to be a 100 metre sprinter. Most sprints are, you know, less than 30 metres. But nobody ever sat down to us and explained that to us. So that was probably some underlying passion or reason why I became a sports scientist, strength and conditioning coach. Um, so got to 16, stayed on at school, did the sport there, continued paid A level. Um, got into there. The only real route I saw was to go to university. So I went to university, did sports science. While I was there, I uh, I got injured. Some probably touch on quite a bit. And while I was injured, I decided to do coaching badge. So I did my FA level one. Um, from there, you know, I really enjoyed the coaching side of things. So I thought, oh, you know, I'll, I'll go on to do my FA level two. Um, and at the same time, I was going to a gym at Blade Ruby Club, and the manager there offered us a job. So two nights a week while I was doing university degree, I was learning to become a fitness instructor. So that was kind of like my first 14, uh, you know, the the gym side of things. And again, quite enjoyed that from a point of view of learning the basics of a gym. What I didn't really enjoy was being a receptionist or a glorified cleaner, as I'm sure anybody who's been a gym instructor will know. When you're not working with clients, you're tidying everything up. Um, I think it was like my second year of my sports science degree. I had a lecturer called Duncan French, who was, uh, was an s coach. He was the first person who really brought this idea of strength and condition or this job. Um, and straight away, that was something that it twigged the sports science. It's quite like a, a wide field. You can do a lot of different things in it, where strength and condition is a little bit more um specialized to one area so as i was going through i got finished my degree just worked as a gym instructor didn't feel like i wouldn't have gotten a full-time job at that that time point i wouldn't most jobs now we're looking at a master's degree minimum so i plan to have a year out go and do a master's degree and in that year out i was looking to to get some experience from a performance side so i emailed Newcastle United, the Falcons, Eagles, um, anywhere in the Northeast that was SNC based or performance based. Got an email back from Newcastle United um, saying there was an internship. Went there for a year. So for that year in between, I was working as a gym instructor. I was coaching football and I was, you know, I was interning at Newcastle for a year and it was great experience. And the second year, I started my master's degree at Edinburgh and um, doing strength and conditioning. Again, getting loads of experience, getting more knowledge and proving my skill set as an SNC coach uh, or a sports scientist, if you like, at that time. And then it just timed absolutely perfectly that I come to the end of my um, master's degree that the APPP come in, so the League Player Performance Pathway, and where clubs are starting to recruit more staff. And it just happened to be Newcastle asked me to come in for an interview for the 9th or 16th position. Um, lucky enough went in and got it and they've never been able to get rid of me since and since then I went from 9 to 16 to 18 and then at the start of last year I became the, the SNC coach in the academy so it's uh right place right time <laughs> yeah I know I think though like you touched on it there about how you were doing loads of different jobs I think like you kind of you do create your own look in that sort of sense like being in the right place at the right time you obviously put the hours in doing doing your job at Blade and doing your your master's degree and then also doing the the internship at the same time you're putting yourself in the scenarios where things are going to happen which i think a lot of people probably don't do especially in the the fitness community or the fitness space snc space where it is very very kind of saturated there's a lot of people who want to do it because it's not a bad job to have and a lot of people have an interest in fitness and snc and stuff so it is hard to get into it but i think just surround yourself with with people in that industry or maybe just you have to do a lot of things for free so i'm guessing the internship was pretty much free and you kind of have to put yourself in these places unpaid 
probably doing like nearly full-time hours for, for less than minimum wage or probably free just to get yourself into that industry, which I think a lot of people find they probably don't actually realise. And then you touched up upon being the fitness instructor, sweeping, sweeping the floors and the treadmills. I've been doing that quite a bit. I found that a complete different different ball game. Obviously coming out of professional football, my first eight-hour shift, which I touched on before the podcast, having to go around and clean treadmills with dust on. And I was thinking... Two years ago, I was warming up at St. James's Park, ready for, like, against Man City. Edison was kicking balls at the other end of the pitch, and now I'm here, like, dusting treadmills and stuff. But it's the reality of kind of what you have to... You do have to kind of go through those times where you're working a lot of hours, maybe doing the, the crappy jobs, quote-unquote. But just to get to that point, and obviously gain more experience, and you've put yourself in the right position, and obviously progressed and stuff. So did you say that you went to uni and studied sports science, and then the s was a master's? Yeah, so I did sports science with coaching at Northumbria is my uh, undergraduate mm. degree. So coaching is always something I think I always knew I kind of want to get into in some in some aspect. And I'd still say as I am coaching as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, but then, like I say, sport it was quite wide. So we did biomechanics, um, physiology, psychology. I just felt like that was probably too broad and I, I was quite interested more on the physiology side of things and more on the strength and condition side of things so I'd look around at the time I think there was only really Edinburgh and St Mary's Navy's one yeah. other one that did it in the, U, in the UK and Edinburgh course had really good really good reviews and markups so I was lucky enough to be able to afford to go and do that and you touched on it before it's sometimes it's like war of attrition who can like last the longest not being paid I probably couldn't have stayed at Newcastle another day and done what I did for free. I would have probably said I couldn't get a job somewhere. But I think on the flip of that is, I think you, you've hit on the nail on the head a little bit in that you've got to, show, in these situations, show your worth to the person you're working for. So I always talk to people about like your currency. So if you're doing a job, why would that person want to keep you on? Well, you've got to be able to show them that you've got value and you're adding value to that program. Mm-hmm. So I sometimes think back, the gym instructor and I was I was bored of just like sweeping the floors and washing the machines. I should have been actively trying to get clients to work with and not even to get paid more, just to be able to show someone, look, I've worked with X, Y, and Z. These were the goals. This was the program I put in place. And this, then what happened after six weeks? And if mm-hmm. I go to an interview and I've got that and I say, look, yeah, I haven't got experience with you, but this is people. And I can sort of say, well, actually, this is their quality as a, as a coach. I think sometimes yeah. people think like, I could have been in Newcastle for two years and I just made protein shakes. I didn't yeah. make sure I was actually adding value to the program. I was thinking of new ideas and adding stuff. And um, always give a great example of John Fitzpatrick. John came, oh, yeah. in, right. John came in and he just took over the GPS. Like, it got to the end where it was like, we can't lose them, we need them. And I think if you're trying to get into any role and you're first getting a foot in the door because you're going in for free, get to that point where the person you're working for cannot afford to lose you. And I think John's probably the, the great example and the one I bring up to to like aspiring coaches all the time. Like we just couldn't afford to lose him. Now we can't get rid of him. But <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say when John came in, I didn't realise he, was he wasn't getting paid. He was there for that long. I was like, surely he's getting paid. And someone told me, like, oh, John just got a job. I was like, did you not already have a job? <laughs> like, I thought he was there for that long. I was like, it's, it's crazy, but... Like it, that's a perfect example, like doing things kind of unpaid and kind of showing willingness to kind of learn and obviously then providing that much of a good service that someone can't say no to you kind of thing. And it's like the first thing that when you go into a job interview, the first thing that people ask is what's your experience sort of thing. And if you don't have anything because you didn't want to do anything for free, then they're going to look and think like, well, you've got no experience. I'm going to pick this guy who done, it might have been like yeah. 30 hours a week unpaid for two years. Like this guy's got the experience. I've done a podcast with... He's from Ramana, he's an SNC coach based in rugby called Callum Fell. He's only a young lad. Mm. But he he said like it's so it's even so hard for him to get a job now. He's got so many so much experience. He's got two years doing, I think he said about maybe forty hours a week, like right. doing SNC, doing PT, working with part time rugby teams and stuff. And he still didn't get this job for uh, I can't remember who it was, I think it was a, a rugby a rugby team down south. But he still didn't get this job. And he's thinking to himself, like, how much experience do you actually need? So that obviously the market in the S and C world is, like, it's getting more and more saturated, and the the, bar, the the kind of standards getting set higher and higher to get a job. I think which is crazy. There's two things on it there for me. It's like 
yeah, you can do it for free, but think of ways you can get paid for it. So, like, what we're doing as a PT, getting individual clients in and getting them to pay, like, you're learning and you're getting paid. So don't mm-hmm. always necessarily give it away for free. And I think the second one is when you are getting away for free, you're networking. So yeah. uh, myself, John, and James were all interns. So mm-hmm. when positions became available, the people who put that job out there knew who we were. They knew who we were as people and seen were in the good times and the bad times. I think they say like jobs for the boys. And I can kind of understand why it is sometimes because you know that person or if you know somebody who knows them. So I'll get people ringing up and saying, look, this person's put an application in. They say they know you. What, what like feedback can you give on them? And I think that's massive because you spend more time with the people at work than you probably do with your wife and family or your kids or your mm-hmm. partner at home. You want to you wanna have a good working relationship. Yes, you can work with people who you like, but it's a hell of a lot more fun if you get on with them. And I mm-hmm. think if you spend five minutes in our office now, you, you'd walk in and you think, ah, are these just best mates who just come in here just have a bit crack? Because we, we get yeah. on, but we get on because we spend time like building those relationships. And I think that's that's a massive thing. And that comes talking about building relationships is networking. So mm-hmm. knowing different people and them knowing you especially. Because if you yeah. we, we put off a job uh, for James a job, I think we've got like 75 applicants. And like yeah. to go through 75 CVs is quite difficult, especially when you don't know them and they've all got similar qualifications. And mm-hmm. it come down to with James was we knew we could build relationships with coaches and the coaches yeah. liked them and got on with them. And for us, that's a massive, a massive mm-hmm. hurdle in the role. Forget about like your technical knowledge to begin with. It's like, can you actually build something with somebody from then to build a, a solid foundation to actually do some some positive work? Because if you're just going to yeah. put heads with people all the time, like you're not really going to get anywhere. And at the end of the day, the players are the ones who are going to suffer and that's, that's who we're there for. Yeah. No, that's a great point about having that relationship. Like you want, especially in a football club, it's a team environment. You want almost it all to be a community. You don't want like, yeah. oh, that's that that SNC goes. I don't want to talk to him because he looks miserable and horrible. Like you want that kind of community. Oh, like you can go chat to, I don't know, the SNC coach about this. You can go and chat to the physio about that kind of thing. You yeah. do want that, and especially within football, you need to be able to have a bit of banter with someone. If you can't, <laughs> if you're not like, if you're not in with that, one, you're gonna get absolutely battered for it, or, or two, you're not gonna get. Then nobody's gonna talk to you, and you're just gonna feel like left out like you, you need that kind of ab- yeah. ability to actually communicate and if and also with the players as well if you can get their buy-in like you might not be i think personally for myself i'd rather have someone who doesn't yap on about velocity and this that and the other and all these numbers on a computer and stuff like that i'd rather have someone who can put a decent session on but you can have make you can make the sessions like you can get the players buy-in and for me to actually have a bit of crack with someone and I knew that's what I wanted when I was a player obviously I wanted to get fitter I wanted to get stronger I put the work in but I also wanted someone that I could have a bit of crap with like in between sets or after the workout or whatever no absolutely I think if you look that's why I hated things. you because you're boring but well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking I'm joking now Craig's a great you John everybody was top quality to be fair when I was there lots of type of stuff will come in they'll come in and say oh, fuck the same programme again like yeah. you didn't know the person you would take it personally, but you know they're just having a bit of crap with you, and that's like sort yeah. of leading people and not taking it too seriously. And I think that's something I probably did right at the beginning of my career. I took everything really, really seriously, and now it's a bit like mm-hmm. just relax. Like we'll get the work done, we'll have a laugh, we'll make sure it's good quality, and we'll go from there. I think when you're talking about like Fraser Bell and the physios, he always talks about nobody cares how, how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think he's absolutely spot on because. At the end of the day, it's like 4,000 sports science students graduate every year. It might even be more now. So you can argue mm-hmm. there's lots of people out there with the technical knowledge. It's like how you actually show real empathy. And I think, yeah. we were speaking before, like when you were, so I, this is the first year I've really worked one-to-one with players in, a, in an injured setting. Like, if you work one-to-one with somebody and you can't really show them empathy, like, it becomes a bit awkward and you don't really get that buying from the person. Like, you have a genuine interest in their, their health and well-being. And I think that's mm-hmm. reciprocating the work and they do for you because they could just toss it off and say, oh, this is rubbish, this, and cause all yeah. sorts of problems. But like the program might not be great and they might turn and say, great, can I change this? Can we do that? And built a relationship, you've, you've bonded and hopefully helped them a little bit. Yeah. I think Fraser was a good example as well. Fraser was always one who I kind of like warmed to a little bit because he always showed interest in me when I was out for like a long term, long term injury. He was great. He always used to send it like even after when I left the club and stuff you send us a little text and stuff and check up yeah. how I was but 
like that's just getting the players buying in. Like if I seen someone who actually cared about me, and maybe if I like even if I said like, oh, this afternoon can we do this? And they'd be like, all right, yeah, I'll integrate that into what I had planned, sort of thing. Then I'd be like, right, spot on. Rather than someone saying, no, I'm gonna do it my way, because I know a lot of players who who don't enjoy that sort of the gym aspect sort of thing, and maybe doing the same thing over the t like, every single week. And if you can put in something that's gonna get their buy-in, like maybe. Like for me, I used to love lifting weights. Oh, if I can have a little bit of a body in there or something like that, even if it's yeah. just 10 minutes in the session, I'm going to probably buy into it more than rather like, right, I'm going to get you outside running for two hours and kill you. And I'm just going to be like, yeah, yeah absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head for me there. Like when I first went in, I remember my first day as an intern, and my thoughts would be like, the coaches would be telling the players what they're doing. Every single player would be doing it exactly as it was said. And it wasn't like players have got opinions and. Mm. I would say I was an autonomous practitioner and I like to have choice in my role. Players are exactly the same. They like to have a little bit of choice and say in their programme. And when you listen to them, don't get us wrong. Like they might suggest some stuff and I think that's a little bit dodged. Like, can we go more in this direction? But like you said there, if you're shown you're willing to listen to them, they'll listen yeah. to you a little bit more. It's like a give and take uh -huh. relationship. So I think absolutely spot on with what Yeah. I think like the higher up in football or higher up in sport in general that you go, the more you're going to have to kind of be flexible with your approach. Because I know yeah. there's a football around my area who played, he's playing, I think he's in the championship at the minute, but he came to me and I was like, oh, what's your S&C kind of stuff? And he's like, oh, they're trying to get me at the club to do this, that and the other. But I just say, I've never done that in the past and I've got to this point now, so I'm going to stick to what I've done. Like, he doesn't really like lifting weights and stuff. He's yeah. physically, he's he's an athlete. Like, you look at him, he's an athlete, but he's like, all I've done is body weight stuff because I don't want to touch a weight because... It's just, it's just not what I do. And if I was a coach and I look at him, look at his physique, look at what he's doing on the pitch, I'd be like, right, fair play. We'll kind of integrate a little bit what I do, but I want to base it around what you kind of have always done and what you enjoy. And especially the higher up, the more the bigger personalities you have. Like if 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 you try and get like I don't know if Cristiano Ronaldo's never back squatted before, like a one at max in his life, and you used to tell him to do that, he's probably going to tell you to do one realistically like you you want to kind of just get the players by it like we've talked about before and not make them do things that they're going to want worry about into going to want to do but also the, the gyms especially for like high pressurized sport like football like at the top end of of sport in the premier league and stuff that gym aspect is probably going to be a little bit of time to like maybe switch off a little bit kind of have a bit of banter with lads maybe play like a bit of head tennis for a warm-up or something then do like like push each other in the gym and kind of have a bit of banter like oh yeah, i got one more rep than you on doing this kind of thing like oh your techniques crap like banter each other a bit that's a kind yeah. of a, t a time to switch off and team build as well rather than just like right we need to focus you need to get like 10 reps of 60 kilogram back squat and if you don't get that you, there's a punishment sort of thing you've got to be there's got to be that sort of balance rather than the old school okay. approach i feel if, if you think you know yourself i'm training you spend like 30 seconds lifting and then you're going to spend three minutes recovering so yeah. on, on an average exercise. So you've got three minutes and you're not expecting anybody really to stand there and not say anything or do anything. They're going to they're gonna start chatting or wandering away. It's like yeah. sometimes it's making sure they don't start causing bother. But like it yeah. is, you find like even out on the pitch, if they're going to, they might have like a little bit of crack in between drills but generally it'll be about the next drill they're quite like focused on whereas in the gym I always think sometimes you, you find that there's a lot of different conversations going on as opposed to it's just constantly about work and football mm -hmm. um, and like certain days we'll have like Olympic style days where we'll just put four or five exercises out to them like, like long jump the vertical jump and um, med ball throw and it's just like right who can get the furthest who can jump the highest it just adds a bit of competition honestly like even the 23s like I expect them, like, oh, no, I'm not for this. Like, they got so into it. Like, just yeah. each next person trying to beat the last person, and that person trying to go back and beat yeah. them. Like, little things like that, because he's a competitor. That's what he's on. He uh -huh. wants to compete and trying to put that into the program. I think always um, can always benefit it, as long as it's done correctly. Because you don't want them, like, you're doing back squat and say, oh, well, I'm going to lift 120, and then the back's about yes. to <laughs> things like that. So. But it's uh, it's like tools, tools in your toolbox. Like, what can you bring out for what, what outcome you uh -huh. want? Um, yeah, it's like 
Like you went with you went with top athletes and then you said the competitive, like just the kind of like going off track a little bit. But I've got a like at the gym I work at we do group sort of stuff. And I was thinking I'm always trying to think of like different things that we can do rather than just do like your standard circuit sort of thing, like that exercises, press ups, yeah. that exercises cross, because I get bored of doing that. So I was trying to think like what would what would I enjoy and what would be like quite fun, but also you'd get the, the benefits. So yeah. what I did was I got the big gym balls, the big Swiss balls, and put them on like a little like the um, I don't know what it is, but like a little block so they would stay still on the wooden row. Yeah. And I lined like four, oh, sorry, I've got the mic. I lined four or five up in a row, and that what that one of the stations was right. Everyone else has got to work, and you two have got to race each other doing like doggies. Like get the big ball, put it back to the the start, run and get the other one. They were like honestly big kids like running around with these balls. I've never seen them like run so fast in their life and get. They were all dripping in sweat. They were knackered, but everyone's like big kids at home. We all have that competitive edge, and if you can. F- you can find something. Oh, there's somebody on Instagram. I can't remember his name, but he's a strength and conditioning coach. But he literally gets kids to like, like random stuff, like jump around and like rubber yeah. tackle things. Jer- Jeremy, Jeremy Fisher, uh, Jeremy Frisch. It might be. I'd have to find his name. But I listened to one of his podcasts and followed him. I can't remember his name, but he gets them doing like really random yeah. stuff. But it's like, it's it's not obviously specific like lifting weights sort of thing. But they're still getting the movement patterns, but in a, a fun sort of yeah. different way. Like, it doesn't always have to be, like, your old school, right? Like, you got to do back squat, then you got to do lunges, then you got to do bench press. Like, you can mix it up and stuff. And I think some lads will probably buy in more. They'll put, they'll get more work in, even if it's not, like, strength-specific stuff like you would in the gym I, environment. I think you hit, you said it there when you said, like, I'm a bit sick of that. Like, if I go into the gym session, I'm thinking, bloody hell, this again. Something's gone yeah. wrong somewhere along the line. I think it's, it's good to give the players a little break from it because... That the monitoring everything they do, like they're always being assessed. There's quite like pressure on them all the time. So sometimes it's good just to bring them in and just put something on that. It's a little bit more fun. There isn't like right, you're gonna get marked at the end of it, and it's gonna it's gonna go towards when they get another contract. It's just it's like yeah. just a little bit of a break, a little bit of fun, and the mm. player, players appreciate it, especially if you time it right. So like it used to be when nine to sixteens would be at Christmas, we'd always put more games on because you know the Christmas break was coming up. Um, things uh, like that. It's probably a real periodization, really, to yeah, keep everything yeah. fresh and fun for people. Yeah, that's what you've got to do. Because I know what, like, I know what, like, it is kind of optimal at times to keep everything the same and like tweak little things. But I think with your athletes, they are probably getting a lot of, especially in season, they probably don't need a lot of like gym based stuff. Maybe just keep themselves ticking over. So implementing a few little fun things here and there. Like, I used to yeah. love like group stuff where it was like the. We used to have they got the skier at Newcastle. We used to do little circuits like skier boxing, but then used to write the times up after yeah, and yeah. how far you come. Yeah, I used to enjoy it. I was quite good at the yeah, skier. To be that. fair, I was quite good at it. That and the rowing and stuff like little things like that, just mixing it up. Especially like talking about injured lads, like doing stuff like that keeps you kind of going. Like that little competitive yeah. edge, which is what you miss when you're injured. Um, we'll touch up on about injuries and stuff in a bit, but we've probably talked a little bit about it there. But kind of your. Your SNC, so quote unquote philosophy. I know a lot of coaches have their own kind of way, um, but how do you kind of approach it in terms of obviously working with the young lads? Maybe go through your philosophy, how you would kind of program things, especially in season with for the young lads, and in terms of testing, what would you do? So I think in terms of philosophy, so I would use that or describe that as how and why I coach. So probably touch on the why a little bit in terms that you want to help people. That's fundamentally mm-hmm. what we're there to do. I think the how for me has probably evolved quite a bit. And I would look at, you want to develop an individual's capability, opportunity, motivation to achieve their goal. So if I'm thinking the capability, I'm thinking, how is their movement? Do you want them to be better movers? Absolutely. Are they going to get an opportunity to do that? We're going to try and put on enough sessions. So it might be that we want to get them one session a week and I'm going to try and get them in before training to get an extra one in. And then probably the big one is motivation, like how we motivate them. You don't always get everybody walking in and think, yeah, I'm ready to do all these exercises. Some people will come in and say, look, I'm feeling a bit tired. What can, what can we change? You know, I've had players before who have actually reduced the amount of exercises they've got, so they've got less to focus on because they'll complain like, look, I'm, I'm tired. I don't concentrate as well on the common issues uh, in the gym session. So... They're, they're the three big things in terms of how, and then how it kind of looks for me would be, we developed um, something called the five M's. So mastery, movement, muscle, maximum momentum are five stages of our SNC philosophy. And that, 
goes all the way through from nines to 23s. So if we look at that in terms of mastery, we would base that on predicted adult height. So anybody who's 86% of their predicted adult height less would be in that mastery phase, which is basically like the nines, tens, elevens, and most of the twelves. It's about having fun, a little bit of what you talked about earlier, about getting the moving patterns, I want to say them, fundamental moving patterns, but getting it in games. Because if you try and stop and coach a kid every two seconds, they're going to switch off and disappear. We've got hopefully three or four years with them. We want to build a positive relationship towards SNC. We want them to see it's fun and that we're trying to develop them and help them in a long-term path. Especially that is they're just they're not going to really care too much about setting reps and things like that. Yeah. Um, move on to movement. So this is for anybody between 86 and 92%. So this is more leaning towards stre- uh, structured gym sessions. So here we'll have five level exercise continuum and within that there'll be nine movement categories so for instance you might have squat and you'll have a specific squat level one when you're technically confident that you move to level two when you're technically confident that you move to level three and then we have stage three which is muscles so this is for the guys who are between 92 and 95 percent so these are the guys we want now who should hopefully have technical competency through their fundamental movements we want to start adding resistance to that <clears throat> So hopefully through that phase, you'll also get some muscle growth. So ideally, these are the guys who are starting to, to grow and have their peak growth rates. And then after that, once about 95%, they've still been able to maintain technical competency. And we would look at their maximum momentum, which is strength and power. So this is usually where they start coming to me. Um, in terms of them stages, we very lucky to have a force place. So we use force decks. Um, from I think it's 16s up as we do an isometric mid thigh pull to measure their maximum strength, um, and then down to 12 we'll do, including up to 23s we'll do counter jumps and drop jumps to measure power, and then from there I'll develop programs for the 18s and 23s based on the testing score, so it'll all be individualised. Um, in terms of any other gym strength testing, every now and then we might do a little bit of upper body movement not massively a lot what we try and get the players to do is record their gym sessions so we can get an idea of what predicted one rm could be in a back squat and a trap bar deadlift a split squat um, an rdl then ideally try and individualize the work they're doing so in terms of that we work off four week visa cycles so we usually have like a we call them 70 85 100 and day load so ideally we'll be like one week behind them. So at hundred percent on the pitch, it would be I think it'll be like our deload in the gym. So we don't want to try and smash them in the gym while they're gonna get smashed on the pitch, so it's a bit contraindicated. Yeah. Um so I think that's pretty much our SNC philosophy in a hat. Like we're seeing offline our twenty-threes now sit within our academy. We want a program where any player from nine to twenty-three will sit somewhere on that continuum. So for instance, we had uh, an under 23 sign this year who's never had any SNC background, literally nothing, and they went straight into the sort of like a slash uh, cross of the movement and muscle program where they weren't coming and lifting very heavy. They were just learning how to lift, like never ever done a back squat, never ever done a deadlift, even though like physically, you know, a lot of muscle mass, they look good, but it's just not safe to move on before they're technically competent. Um, so it's something that's worked really well. And we've had that, like, that's been refined a hundred times in the last, I think, like five years. And it's constantly yeah. getting a little bit more added onto it every year. But it's uh, something myself and James and John and Cy Twell, who's the head of sports science at Newcastle and the academy, we're very, very proud of. No, I like that. I like how you set that out, to be fair. Because the first thing, because obviously I was just there, it probably wasn't really implemented as much when I was there, but it's probably a new sort of thing that's came in. It's nice to hear kind of how you work. Obviously, I'm just kind of there doing it, not really thinking about too much about your your kind of processes and stuff. I'm just turning up and just lifting whatever and doing whatever. Um, but it's nice to kind of hear how you work. So what age would you start kind of, I know you obviously talked about the different processes, so in terms of the movement, you talk about percentages. What age would it be roughly when you're in that kind of movement stage? And then when would it progress to the kind of aiming to put on a bit of muscle, increase the resistance and progress yeah, more yeah. in terms of that? So usually 9s, 10s, 11s, um, probably the majority of the 12s would be that mastery phase. And then between 12 and 14 would be our movement phase because that's where we're going to 
like you say, uh, their peak eye velocity, so where they're starting to go through puberty. So they would be more about body weight, technical competency. Once they come about a year out, their peak eye velocity, so we're talking maybe 15 years old, that's when they'll start to look at um, introducing resistance training in the gym with, with dumbbells, barbells, um, anything like that. And then generally when they're about 16, so the the well outside peak eye velocity, um, they'll start doing like max, maximal strength training, if you want to call it. Um, just think, I think it's like one, maybe it's two under 16, so it would probably be in that phase. But again, the idea would be is as long as they're meeting them criteria, you could be an under 16 doing a more advanced program than under 23 because it's completely based off you as an individual. And that's mm-hmm. what we kind of wanted. We didn't want to say, well, if you're an under 12, you're doing this program, you'd see some under 12s look a lot more advanced. Yeah. Bigger than me, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, there's one or two some big guys in the under 12. Yeah. Um, but even like 13s, 14s, you start to see them massive changes in, in size and shape, and it all comes at different times. So we kind of wanted a program that could account for that quite quickly. And um, we found this is something that really helps. So the last thing you want is you don't want to be testing and then taking forever to write programs. You want to test, assess, and then get a program up as soon as possible. Um, and yeah. find that that framework's very, uh, very helpful for doing that quickly. Yeah, good. So what are the kind of, say, like fundamental exercises that you would put in? You obviously talked about the different progressions and stuff, but... For maybe a young athlete who's obviously the, the movement and stuff looks pretty decent, what are some of the things that you would focus on in terms of your sessions in season? Maybe because I think is if it's the same, it was a, I can't remember if it was a Tuesday because obviously the games are different in the twenty threes. They're playing on Monday. How many game? How many days post game is the kind of the strength session? Or how would you lay out your week in season with obviously the exercises that you involve? Yeah, yeah. So we work off like match day minus whatever match day plus. Yeah. So- it used to be like match day plus two, which would be, say a game was Saturday, that would be a Monday. Um, we'd do a little bit of gym work in there or the match day minus four, which is the Tuesday. So for us, it'll normally fall on a Tuesday afternoon now, which would be match day minus four. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's our strength session. So ideally you want it where the players are covered enough from the last game, but it's also far enough away from the next game that, they're not carrying any muscle soreness into that game or any additional fatigue caused by the session. Then we'll have a second session later on in the week, which is always match day minus two, which is a power session. So that's where we'll fo- focus on primary exercises or some form of Olympic lifts. Um, again, where it's lower volume and probably is less strenuous metabolically for them. Um, so that they're not going to be, hopefully, not carrying any muscle soreness going to game on Saturday or Monday, depending on when the game is. I think the worst thing you can do is you want the players to be fit and fresh for the game. Yes, you want them to develop, but ultimately the most important thing for the player is to play in the game. Mm-hmm. And if they get the game and they're sore because your gym session, you lose a little bit, probably trust. And we don't want that. We want them getting to the game and being ready to go and perform and do really well. So I think that that works. I think that's, that's worked quite well over the years. Yeah, I think a lot of young lads probably listen to this because I was probably in the same mentality where I always wanted to keep doing stuff and like push myself. And we'll talk a bit about kind of managing fatigue as a, as a young lad. I was always the one that kind of wanted to do that extra bit in the gym, which I probably wasn't conscious of how I was going to feel on match day. Like I probably yeah. overdid it in that sort of sense. And also with the amount of training load that you do do, especially as a young lad, because it's another topic of conversation. The young lads, when you're like, when you come in as an apprenticeship, I feel like you're training more than you are when you at the first team level. Probably just because your your body's you probably you haven't accumulated as many injuries and stuff. When you first team, it's like train in the morning and then you kind of do a little bit in the afternoon, maybe a little bit of a gym session in the morning. But as a young lad managing obviously gym sessions on top of all that volume, uh, you need to be careful about how much you're doing because I'm probably I'm probably a prime example of what overtraining looks like. Obviously doing like I used to be out in the morning at like half nine straight after the breakfast doing some kicking. And then I'd be with the team at half 10 training. And then in the afternoon, I was either after the afternoon training or I'd go in the gym. And I think over time, my body obviously just broke down. And when my, my legs started to tire so much because, because of the training load, and I started focusing on upper body, which obviously I became quite top heavy. That obviously puts extra stress on the lower part of the body. And like you said before, as a footballer, that like you don't really need to touch on the upper body massively. Like I think you need some general strength, obviously core mainly, but... 
most of, most of the kind of this power and strength that you want is based around based around the legs. So touch on arm fatigue is the ways that you kind of track players players fatigue and manage their their kind of load over the course of a season. Yeah, so John, when when he did finally start getting paid off the club, it was to do a PhD, and he looked at uh, dose response training. And um, one of them things he did to begin with was look at the reliability of wellness questionnaires and some monitoring procedures. So from that, players can report wellness scores in the morning, so energy and muscle soreness. I think another one's freshness and our sleep quality. Sorry, so we can get that in yeah. the morning. And it can give them an idea of which players potentially had a rough night, rough night's sleep, or they're ready to go and do the toughest session of the week. It, it allows us to pinpoint individuals and maybe we want to have a conversation with before we start doing any training. And then also a drop jump. So looking at players change scores and a drop jump um, to see where they are relative to their norm. So we've used that in the past to identify um, levels of fatigue. Um, I think in terms of the gym, as I've said, I would plan their week's load based on what the lower on the pitch was. If a player came into the gym and said, look, my legs are feeling very heavy, I'm tired, I would ask them to, or we would discuss how we would modify exercise or exercises to to assist them. I think when you've built a relationship with certain people, you'll know the ones who have been honest with you and coming to you and asking you and saying, like, look, I am feeling a bit knackered. So I think Goalkeeper's a great one, I think, a lad now, Jake Turner. He's uh, excellent, excellent worker in the gym. If he comes up to us, it's not an issue, because I understand, you know, he's a, he's a bit older than the rest of the players, and he probably understands his body a bit better, but the, it's the goalkeeper part, like, it's completely different, the outfield. Like, yeah. the player's hardest day of the week is Saturday. Your easiest day, from a physical point of view, is probably the Saturday, mm-hmm. and we're probably doing everything kind of the wrong way around for you. You should probably have gym sessions closer to games because you're actually probably yeah. going to be able to get away with it. Like, you could probably do a gym session on the Sunday, like yeah. a heavy leg yeah. session, and it would probably be okay for you because during the, like, you know, the day before a game, we do shooting practice, and yeah. that looks like the hardest day for a keeper. You know, Especially yeah. if you're on your own as a keeper, shooting practices are the worst. Like, it's a cardio. It's yeah, ridiculous. Oh, it looks High intensity interval. So, like, if Jake or Dan or Brownie or, or Will, uh, sorry, or Ollie come in and chat, it's like, it's already a red flag because I know their training week's been a little bit different to what the players has been. So if I'm saying, they, oh, well, this week they're doing 85% on the pitch, that's geared pretty much to the outfield players, or as far as I understand it is. So it's different mm-hmm. for the goalies and it's something I'm probably a little bit more conscious about because it is. Yeah. I know there's a... Uh, there's a guy called Anthony White, who's a goalkeeping coach at, at Bournemouth, who's also doing a PhD, I think, in goalkeeping. Like, we need that type of research. We've got tons on outfield about what the physical mm-hmm. demands are with goalkeepers. are always a little bit different. So when a goalkeeper always comes to us in the gym and saying, look, I'm feeling a bit heavy, it's always a little bit of a red flag in that world. Yeah. Yeah, weeks look a little bit different to the rest of the squad. So, again, yeah. it's, it's understanding not just my job is necessary because we understand what they're doing in other areas yeah i was going to say goalkeeping especially it's weird because you control kind of the outfield like fatigue and also the sessions and the volume and the intensity and stuff obviously because you have an input with the coaches about what you're doing in terms of sessions but goalkeepers we could i remember when i was there we could be training with like say the under 18s then get a call up the 23s need to keep her off at a session you've got to do an extra hour yeah it's like this you're you can't really put a plan in for keepers and then even after that like the first team might need an extra keeper for some shooting at the end yeah like, i remember my days <laughs> were like some of my sessions that the lads would be in have the food been getting showered and be off home and i'll just be coming in it's like trying to manage that and then also Trying to like obviously at the time the goalkeeper coach I had was always big on trying to extra load like trying to get extra extra reps in extra kicking extra crossing so like I said I'd be out at like half nine and then I'd also be out in the afternoon when all the lads are off kind of thing and as much as I'm a big believer in putting in extra work and trying to work on your techniques as a goalkeeper I think most of it it's well I think a lot of it's psychology like psychological but a lot of it you need to work on your technique especially with goalkeepers need to be good with your feet and stuff these days yeah. I feel also. The need to kind of, I feel the player should be able to kind of stand up for themselves and say like, look, like I'm feeling so today. I think I should really leave this extra session without the coach being like, well, how much do you want it kind of thing? Like I thought I say to a lot of young lads, like if you're, 
if you're having aches or pains, if you're getting a bit of knee pain and stuff, and then your your coach is getting you out in the afternoon to do an extra bit of kicking and stuff mm-hmm. like that, like, like I wish that I kind of stood up for myself a little bit more. Like when you're a young lad, you want the best, and you want the coach to think like, all right, yeah, this is what he, he really wants. It he wants to put the extra effort in, and I wish I kind of just said like, no, like I need to back off, which I got better at, but it kind of took my injuries and stuff to kind of get to that point. Yeah. Um, which I think so. Like being a goalkeeper was like a different ball game in terms of. In terms of you, you probably you can you fight your sessions like I said for the outfield players, but the goalkeepers like they could do anything else. Like we're out early, we're we're in late. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Don't be a goalkeeper. That's a simple thing. But one quick question <laughs> I want to ask you. I know. One quick question I wanted to ask you. You touched yeah. on when you had your ankle injury and you want to work. You focused a little bit on your speed work because that's a big question I get asked a lot of like young footballers like. How do I get fast? I know I didn't put this in my notes. I just came up with this. But yeah. is there any like certain things that you would kind of give to a lad who wants to maybe he needs to work on his speed or wants to kind of get a little bit fast? I know football yeah. football speed's different to like like you said a hundred meter bolt using bolt speed. What would you want to kind of focus on with a young lad? I think probably the first one again depending on is like technical competency. I think we'll go out and play so many different sports as kids. One of the ones I don't know how much we ever do is get taught to run properly. So, like, mm-hmm. if you look at a lot of top notch, so take Ronaldo, like, is he technically, would he look like an actual sprinter? I know we just said there, don't even like Usain Bolt, but they're the most efficient runners. So, should we have some similar mechanics? So, that would be the first one I would, I would go to is like, what is your running style like? Are you efficient? Um, the second one would then be driven off testing. So look at some types of speed tests as acceleration needs to work on as a max velocity. And then the gym probably more around relative strength. So if, if you're strong, you can produce more force. So force equals mass times acceleration. So if you maintain mm-hmm. your mass or lose a little bit and you improve how much force you're hiring in, then hopefully acceleration changes. Um, there's some stuff around like horizontal dominant exercise. So work more around the, your glutes and your hamstrings. Um, but I would definitely start with your technical competency and then have a good program around you that's testing to see where your strengths and weaknesses lie and target them. I think that's mm. what we would we would approach it at Newcastle anyways. Yeah, because I get like I said, I got a lot a lot of young lads kind of want to work that, but a lot of people don't actually think about the technical side of it. They think like right. I want to go and deadlift more. I want to go and work on like my hamstring. They're doing some Nordics or something like that. Like that's what they kind of instantly go to. It's not like right. We need to strip it back and go on technique, which I've started looking into a little bit more because I've looked back at my run technique and my run technique isn't great. And I want to try and I want to kind of feel more athletic in terms of working on that sprint and stuff. Because I remember when I was younger, I was quite a good like sprint. I was, but now I've kind of went into the more like obviously lifting a few more weights and putting on a bit more size. I feel like I've lost that side of it. So it's kind of something that I know that I need to work on. Like I follow people on, there's a good guy on YouTube called Overtime Athletes, Chris Bernard, if you've heard of him. He, he's based in, in America. I've been watching his sort of stuff. So working on the, the technique side of it. And like we mentioned, like, you, go on, what you going to say? I think um, the, the two who, who I've seen who seem to be quite like, prominent guys is Jonas Doru. I probably just butchered his surname. But um, he's, a, <laughs> he's a spring coach who does a lot in team sports in the UK. And then Stu McMill from Altus. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Paff, actually, they've just had a webinar recently and they did a couple of presentations on sprinting team sports, which are probably worth people to have a look at. Um, but I think two other things on that is if it's speed within a game, you've got to think about the decision-making. So let's say me and you are in a game and I'm faster than you, but you know what's going to happen. So you've already started to move yourself into the right position. I think there's always a big thing to say, well, if I'm half a second slow on reading the game, but you're more faster than me to then make a difference to that, then, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It, it doesn't matter how quick you are if you're reading the game better than the other person, I think, to an extent. So I think yeah. we'll probably get bogged, bogged down and just say, oh, I want to get faster and faster. It's like, have you read the game? Are you putting your body in the right position? So you, one thing I always say to lads is like when they stood up, right? Like you should always be in that sort of like athletic position, right? You move at all times. So you're always anticipating. Um, which I think is an, probably is an interesting aspect that's probably overlooked. Um, so 100%, I think we talk about like game speed. It is about the game. So 
what are you reading about the game that's then making you initiate the movement and if you can do that uh-huh. better than you know you talk about Paul Scholes had an extra half a yard and he said I 100% uh-huh. believe in that and I think that's probably uh-huh. somewhere you need to start as well depending on your position because yeah. yeah. the, the, the best players play the game better upstairs first and then everyone yeah. else comes uh-huh. after that's something I felt like I should have kind of I should have focused on so because I was so focused on what I was doing in the gym to kind of physically get myself in the best shape possible for the game like working on speed working on power working on like my not my body strength and stuff but I was I wasn't so much neglecting but I wasn't concentrating as much on actually like my game thinking like I think especially as a goalkeeper in fact as a footballer in general I think you have to be working on your mind is probably more important than working on like how strong you are, how quick you are. I think that's something that, and working obviously on your ball skills and stuff, that's probably something that you should prioritise. And then if you've got that, then go and work on, like if you can obviously be fast, you can be stronger and stuff, that's going to be fit. Be fitter obviously is a big thing for football. That can kind of get you that extra yard kind of thing. But the main thing is probably working on the actual game side of it rather than that, the kind of physical side of it, which is something that I kind of focus too much on. Um, Obviously trying to, get bigger and stronger because that was in my mentality that I pictured the type of goalkeeper I wanted to be. I wanted to be that the type of pitch, yeah, keeper that you go on the pitch and look at him and think, fuck me, he's a big lad. I don't want to go near him. That's what I was like in my head. But really, I should have, like, I, I, that maybe wasn't the type of keeper that I was. I should have been the keeper that was maybe a little bit better with his feet or maybe had a bit more finesse about him rather than just being this, like, big beast who doesn't really move. That was just kind of the mentality that I, like, I had and probably should have been more open to other things. Um, so there's probably maybe young lads in that position who might just want to be like, right, I want to be a beast. And, you know, I want to go and smash weights, which you probably, you hear it all the time. Like, they want to go and, like, the, the, it's great to do an extra, but maybe yeah. it's like that old saying, train smart, not hard, rather than... Oh, absolutely. I think you've probably set the nail on the head. Like, what is it you want is the outcome. Mm-hmm. And then fitting, making sure that outcome's right first. So getting advice from different areas, getting different inputs, and then putting a program together that's appropriate and holistic. So making sure that yeah. you don't spend too much time in the gym, you actually spend more time with performance analysis. I think the, the mm. good example for the keepers, there uh, was a pick for it at the World Cup. He had, yeah. had on his water bottle where everyone would die. So like, uh-huh. you haven't changed anything about Jordan Pickford. All he does is upstairs, he has an idea where they're going to go. So mm. he's better prepared and then he makes the saves. So... It is, I think, probably, you're saying it's a holistic programme. You know, that's probably one of the big things um, that's changed for me over the, the years. Like, we don't work in silos as much. We work more as a multidisciplinary team. And I think, I think if you came back, I think about the keepers probably wouldn't happen as much because we're having them conversations as staff. I think that's something um, we've all worked really hard on in the last few years to to improve. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. So- Definitely some good points there, to be fair. But last question, because I've realised we've been going on for quite a while. When people get bored of podcasts after 45 minutes, people start complaining. But last little thing, we briefly touched on it before the podcast. Um, just on about injury prevention. Like You made a great point. I'll let you make the point anyway. But just about injury prevention, kind of what's the best way to... Is there any exercises or any specific way to kind of manage injury prevention? Obviously, like there is times where you're going to get halved and you, get, you you might do a really, have a really bad injury or you might, as a keeper, you might make a save to your right if you can get stuck in the ground and things like that happen. But in terms of like muscle injuries, joint injuries and stuff that you can almost control, what can you do to help it? I think what we were talking about before was once you've been injured, that's the biggest issue because the biggest mm-hmm. predictor of injury is previous injury. So if you don't want to be injured, don't get injured in the first place. So Sounds simple. It does. <laughs> I wish it was. Um, yeah. We went from a, a mindset of injury prevention to injury reduction because there's a lot of trainer thought that you can't prevent injuries. So what can you do to reduce them? Um, and a couple of years ago, so John Fitzpatrick and Stevie Weir did an injury audit. It was excellent. They looked at all the most common injuries we had. Um, and then they looked at what the mechanisms of injury were. And then from there, how do we test it? And then how do we improve it? So we ended up with, I think, hamstring was a, a major injury, ankle sprain, um, groin and quad, I think, were the four main injuries. So when we looked mm-hmm. at what the, the mechanism of injury was, we then developed some programs. So we have an injury reduction program. So the majority of players, or all players from 16s upwards, will do um, 
some form of hamstring exercise, usually Nordic curls or the hamstrings. We do reverse Nordic curls for the quads. We do Copenhagen lifts for the groins. Um, and we'll do some calf exercises for the ankle. Um, and we found that they've been fairly easy to implement. Mm-hmm. The best thing we did was we have a six-week introduction program. So you probably the Nordics before and they're not the most pleasant of exercise. So gradually just easing the players in because the last thing you want is to write only three sets of 10. Like your hamstrings will be absolutely hanging. Yeah. So you gradually increase that. By no means are they four exercises that we stick to. We change it regularly the different ones but again it has to fit into into that model of what is the mechanism of injury and then how do we help try and reduce that like you sort of occurring um mm-hmm. so that's that that is our <laughs> injury reduction problem yeah. in a nutshell but it is massively yeah. like we talk about once you get one injury it's then it leads on to the next one so we talk about ankles and it's let your knees and then knees will never be lend into hip and then hip into back and it's just yeah it's a vicious cycle, unfortunately. Mm. And I was like, once you get an injury, like I tell lads, because obviously I've had a number of injuries myself, like once you get that one injury, your your life isn't going to be the same anymore in terms of like football. Like you're not going to be able to wake up and go outside and just go for a jog and then you're ready to train. Like <laughs> that, it's not, it's not, I wish it was like that for me. Like it's like my warm-ups are like, four, like half an hour, at least 45 minutes before I do anything. Just because obviously, especially the more injuries that you get, you've got to rehab like for a knee, do some knee activation stuff, quad activation stuff, some stability stuff, glute stuff. Then I've got an ankle, so I do some inversions, some eversions, some balance yeah. stuff, back, some core activations, some side plants, some dead bugs or something like that. And then like that's like, that's already half an hour. Like you're never going to be, and then obviously mobility on top of that as well, like focusing on that will help you. But like once you get that one, especially if it's a serious injury, like you're going to have to stay on top of it. And even if, like ACLs is a big one. Like obviously, I think it's what was it the first eighteen months? There's like a higher percentage if you get re-injured again, and after that, you kind of. In the, I can't remember what it was because my brother's done his ACL. I've seen research saying two years after the injury, you've still well, it takes two years to get back to your normal gait pattern. So mm-hmm. if I, like like a current movement jump, some some aspect of that still hasn't fully restored. Even when you're back playing after a year, you still got to keep on top of it. And that's probably the most yeah. dangerous point. Is when people get back fit and they're not under the guidance of a physio, like one-to-one anymore, it sometimes starts to slip and that's what we see with players and then you've got to get back onto them. So it's that thing again about motivation. If you do unfortunately get an injury, it's keeping on top of it and being consistent with your, your preparations because the longer you can keep going without an injury, the better. And that's uh-huh. probably one of the biggest keys once you've been injured. Yeah. I always say people once like what gets you fit will keep you fit like staying on top of it like you might be fine you might have a long term injury for six months in your back you might have six months in the clean you're fine but then like one day you might like for example your ankle you might just slightly tweak it and then you're kind of back to square one but if you stayed on top if you kept on doing your your rehab stuff your prehab your balance stuff whatever yeah. that injury might not have recurred so just staying on top of little injuries and doing the activation stuff and like listening to like the likes of yourself your SNC coaches like. I remember when they used to get you when I first started doing like the the banded clams and stuff, the lateral like the crab walks and stuff, and standing on like a, a cushion or a bosu doing like little stupid balance stuff. You think like oh this is stupid stuff kind of thing, but things like that are what keep you injured. If you didn't do any of that, you'd probably get injured and then think God I wish I would have would have done them. Like it's crazy. Like like young lads probably don't understand the importance of things like that, which I didn't myself. It takes getting injured to realize it. So if any young lads listening, like just just listening, listen to guys like Craig and your, your coaches, your physios and stuff and do what they're telling you to do. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, but one little thing, what would you say to any young lad, like one little bit of advice just to kind of to end off? Young lad says he's maybe 16, he's just got offered his, his scholarship um, at Newcastle United, for example. One little bit of advice for, for him or her. Make sure you enjoy it. Make sure yeah. you enjoy it. It's to play football as a job must be an absolute joy. Get the most out of it. Like mm. we've got so many departments in the club. Milking for everything they're worth, learn everything you can, have a great experience. It might last two years and that'll be it. Make sure it's the best yeah. two years of your life. But just enjoy it. You can, you can get really wrapped up in it and worry about every little aspect, but just try and enjoy it. See, it's a challenge. You really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. The more you enjoy something, the more you kind of get in that flow state, the, the better you're going to be as well. Like, 
there's a lot of pressure as a young lad going into that environment that, that there is a lot of pressure and like you, you, you are fighting for your, your job in, in a sense every day but if you can get into that mindset that you're like you're going into a joint you're just playing football you've probably got realistically one of the best jobs in the world oh, like absolutely. once coming out of football you realise how good football is once you're in it and obviously when, you, when you're fit and things are going well it's great obviously when it's injuries and stuff it's a little different story but mm. enjoy it while, while it lasts because well you never know what could happen you could go on to the Premier League like some lads have you could go down different paths but make, make the most of it I nearly forgot my three questions mm-hmm. that I've got have you had a look at them in the notes yeah, yeah. Have a look? <laughs> three questions that I've been asking all my guests so first one is three people past or present anybody like celebrity you, 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 your grand I don't know your mum or dad whoever you want invite round for coffee uh, or for, for dinner I'll be honest with you these are the hardest things you sent over because I never like I've never thought of this <laughs> Um, the, f- the first one, I've got Mark Billingham down. He's a, he's on Dares Wins, but I read his autobiography recently. Um, special Forces stuff really, I find really interesting. I think the stuff they do in terms of going into situations which can be highly volatile and uncertain, to be able to go into that on a regular basis, I find fascinating. And just the fact that they are probably the best prepared at what they do. I think it would be pretty cool to have a sit-down chat with him. Some of the stuff he's alluded to, like, may or may not have done, would be quite interesting to find out about. Um, so here's the first one, Mark Gundam. The second one's a guy called Ed Catmull. So he's the co-founder of Pixar and president of, well, was president of Walt Disney Animations. So I just recently read his book on uh, called Creativity Inc. And his the way he ran Pixar and Disney sounds more like how you would run a high-performance team. It's phenomenal how he, he got everybody pulling in the same situation to make great products and then products were films. And if you think of stuff like Toy Story, how massive they are, and then the, the recent Disney films are like billions and billions of pounds of making. But the way they've done it, you would want, like I was reading the thing, I want to be involved in that. So I think talking to somebody like that, he's a master telling the story or creating yeah. the story, and I think that would be pretty cool to chat to. Um, and then somebody actually in a, a high performance event, probably Sir Dave Brailsford, he's probably had unparalleled success um, with British Cycling and the Team Sky and Team Ineos, just how he does it. I would imagine it's never straightforward, like success never happens in a straight line, but to have that much success over such a long period of time, it'd be really fascinating to hear how he's done it and with so many different people. Um, I think it would be really interesting to have a, have a chat with him. Spot on, mate. Solid three guests. So, <laughs> next one is three people you'd want to train with. So, this could be football-related or gym-related. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, this was the hardest one because I'd never really thought of it before. Yeah. I can't run. I like to cycle. So, I think the first person would be Chris Froome. Just, uh-huh. it sounds a bit daft, but I, I like where he goes mentally when he's on a bike. Like you really suffer, and then going out with him would be like, would be an experience and a, in a not in a not in a good or a bad way, just in an interesting way to see like what an athlete at the very peak does, like how much they push themselves. Like it's crazy. Another one I was kind of talking about was James Cracknell, like another guy who like absolutely pushes themselves to the maximum. Like I'll I'll train hard and I'll push myself, but what they do is like next level superhuman stuff. It's crazy. Um, so Chris Rubin, the first one. Um, you said with Michael Jordan. I'm sure everybody's just watched the, the recent series yeah. on Netflix. Like, yes, you probably sound like a bit of a bit of a tough teammate, but watching him play every day. Like, I'm not a massive basketball fan, but I could watch video clips of Michael Jordan playing because what he did just looked absolutely out of this world. So I think being able to train with a guy like that day in day out would be be absolutely phenomenal. Um, yeah. And then again, I'm sorry, I'm not picking any footballers here. I'm purposely doing it. <laughs> Don't worry, man. Um, the last one's Richie McCaw. Uh, when I was in school, I was a captain on teams, and Richie McCaw was a captain of the New, uh, the New Zealand All Blacks. And when you watch him, he seemed to be involved in absolutely everything. Like, he led from the front. And I think if you if you trained with him, you, you would like to think that would rub off on you. You've been like, you, you want to be a leader. You want to stand next to him and work with him. So I think Richie McCaw is somebody... Who I, w- I would, you know, I would enjoy training with. Yeah. Definitely learning from. Yeah. Have you read Legacy? The old black. Yeah, yeah, I've read that a few times. Quality, that's, uh, it's yeah, brilliant, isn't quality, it? Again, the reason why I want to do that. 
That's the mentality. I think a lot of teams need to look at, especially like modern day footballers. I think obviously with the way football's going and it's a lot more like mainstream social media yeah. and stuff. I think a lot of like I think they need to go some of them need to go back to that kind of old school mentality. The old blacks mentality is ridiculous. But last question is one thing that you would say to yourself five years ago. I'll be honest with you. I'm just gonna keep it dead simple, enjoy the things that are most important. I think the last few months it's probably hit home really hard. And when I sat and I thought back five years ago, so in the last five years I've gotten married, I've had my first child, well, my wife gave birth the first child, not me. But <laughs> um, you know, and then getting these promotions at work and having a job that I really love and enjoy. It's like making sure you like you, you spend time actually recognizing it. Because I think we can just mm. drift by it and let it go past. It's, it's being mindful in the moment. I think we forget about it. So like going back to them lads at 16 who get the two-year scholars, like enjoy it. Five years ago, I wish I would turn around and say, like, look, these moments that you're going to have, really enjoy them. Don't worry about what's going to come to marks. I'm a bit of a warrior. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about this. Enjoy what you've got right now because it's probably going to be the best five years of my life. So uh -huh. that's definitely what I've went back and told myself. No, I mean, that's a solid, solid answer. But thanks for having us. Thanks, thanks for having me on the podcast. Thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. It's yeah, been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's been a good chat. No, it's been good catching up with everything. So yeah. I've really enjoyed it. But um, it, are you big on social media? Do you want to shout out anywhere where people can follow you? I don't know, LinkedIn or anything if people, if you're on there or yeah. Instagram. LinkedIn, it's just Craig Mushroom. Twitter, it's C Mushroom, just the initial C yeah. in the Mushroom. Instagram, I think it's SNC underscore Craig, something like that. Yeah. Um, but if you want to send us a me message on LinkedIn, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll always reply. I'll find them and stick them on in the, in the show notes anyway, because yeah. I should really try and get a LinkedIn. I've got it, but it's just I don't really use it. I'm more Instagram kind of thing. I'm not sure you get into it. But anyway, think, thank you very much for coming on, mate. It's been an absolute no pleasure. Appreciate it. So thank you very much yet again if you listened to the full episode today. I know it's another long one, but I thought the conversation was flowing, so we just keep it going. And there's some great, great content from me and Craig there. We fully enjoyed the conversation. Thank you again, Craig, for coming on, mate. It's been a pleasure talking to you and for your knowledge and everything that you passed on and talked about there. Definitely some good advice for any young athletes or coaches in general. Just to finish off, again, like I said at the start of the podcast, if you really enjoyed this episode, get subscribed for weekly episodes. And if you really, really enjoyed it, leave us a little review at the bottom. So if you're on iTunes, go down to the bottom, give us a five-star review. That would mean a lot to me as well. And just let me know what you thought about the podcast. Even drop me a message on social media. So my Instagram is Brendan Pearson Fitness. Again, if you really enjoyed this episode, share it on your story, put a screenshot on, tag myself, tag Craig, tag any of the previous guests if you enjoyed one of their episodes, just to try and spread the word. And one last thing that I always ask is just tell one friend about the podcast. Just copy and paste the link, share a screenshot, or just tell one of your mates just to listen to Process. Type it in on Spotify, iTunes, or on YouTube, or if you're on Podbean, Podbean. And just get the, get the episode spread. It would mean a lot. So thank you very much again for listening. This has been Process.